Hi, I'm Steve Westerly, and this is Beneficial Intelligence, a new weekly podcast with stories and pragmatic information for CIOs and other IT leaders. This week, risk and reward. Humans calculate risk and reward. So we've always done that, and a successful species must be able to calculate what is the risk of this going wrong and what is the reward if we succeed. So a Stone Age hunter, in order to be successful, had to calculate the risk-reward balance before he attacked a woolly mammoth. Different people have different risk-reward profiles, and men generally tend to take more risks than women, which is one of the reasons that we, in general, die younger. Organizations also have a risk-reward balance, and they need to get that right. If they take too many risks, then eventually they will go out of business. Some industries, like engineering, like aerospace, like pharmaceuticals, they have a low risk tolerance. They know that if something goes wrong, it might be catastrophic. It might cost people's lives. So they will tend towards less risk. Some organizations accept more risk in return for a higher potential reward. So we saw hedge funds that were shorting GameStop stocks, and they were looking for a big reward. They didn't quite get that, uh, because the risk they had might have maybe have had underestimated the risk. But in financial institutions, they take big risks and they reap bigger rewards. But organizations consist of individuals. So what is good for the organization, what is the organization's optimal risk-reward balance, might not be the same as the risk-reward balance of the individuals in the organization. In China, they've been building a lot of high-speed rail. Now, Germans, they're still discussing whether to build a high-speed rail line from Berlin to Hamburg, and they figured out it would take them 20 years to build it, because they would assign the contract to one company, and they would build one section, and the next section, and the next section, and the next section, and it would take them forever to get to be finished. In China, they did had a different approach. So they simply built the whole thing in parallel. One company got this section, one company got that section. So different companies were building different parts of these uh, of this high-speed rail system, and they were managed to build thousands of kilometers very, very quickly. Now these are these are elevated rails. They're up on pillars because they need to be free of the ground, so they don't uh, interfere with the the roads that are already there, with canals, with fields, with houses. So they're built up on these concrete pillars. Now, because China has earthquakes, then, of course, engineers had calculated carefully how thick do these pillars need to be? How solid must they be to withstand any reasonable earthquake? And they had put the design, they laid down the design specs, and different companies got the contract, and they started building these different sections of these high-speed rail lines. Now, uh, shortly after one section was finished, they had an earthquake. And it wasn't a very strong earthquake. It was well within the design specs of this railway line. But one section fell over. 
So engineers came out and to do a post-mortem to figure out what went wrong. Had they calculated the strength of the concrete wrong? They hadn't. It turned out that one of the contractors who were building this section, they were a bit behind schedule. And, you know, if you have promised the Chinese Communist Party that your part of their big international prestige project will be finished on time, well, maybe your risk-reward balance, you see a definite downside if you're not done in time. So what they figured out was, you know, it took a long time, it takes a long time for a big bed of concrete to set before you can pour more concrete. But what they figured out was, if you put a bamboo scaffold in the middle of the, of the pillar, so there's concrete around it and there's actually air, bamboo and air in the middle, then the layer of concrete is much thinner and it sets quickly. So when it sets, you can pour more concrete. So they were in, they were in effect building pillars that were mostly air with a thin shell of concrete. Of course, when the earthquake actually hit, the whole thing fell over because it didn't have nearly the strength that it was supposed to have. But the quality assurance, when you look at it from the outside, it looked solid. They did not do x-rays of each pillar. That's what you do when you build nuclear, nuclear power plants, for instance. You make an x-ray of every welding of everything so you can make be sure that there are no hidden flaws there. They hadn't done it here. They had an earthquake. And the thing fell over. Most incentive structures reward fast and cheap because that's immediate. You can measure fast and cheap and you can pay out the reward. It takes time, however, before low quality becomes apparent. There was an article in this week's Wall Street Journal about CEO compensation. It turned out that it is very difficult for a company to claw back money from, CEO, from CEOs who have received compensation and it turned out that they had actually cut corners and they'd actually, they'd actually given the company a cost that didn't become apparent until later. I love that word, claw back. You can feel the, C, the CEO trying to hold on to his money and the company reaching out its claw to get the money back. What they're doing instead is they're moving towards deferred payment. So you have a bonus structure, but the bonus does not get paid out until after several years. So in that way, you try to prevent the CEO from focusing solely on short-term results this quarter and take more of a long-term view. But it is hard to incentivize quality. That's why we often implement processes instead, processes to control quality. But these processes, they're no match for human ingenuity. If you have a strong incentive for somebody to do something and you have a process to, uh, to control it, to counteract these personal incentives, the, the personal incentives win out over the process. Even organizations with very strong processes, Boeing, they had a hundred years of aerospace engineering excellence, but they still cut corners on the 737 MAX and airplanes crashed. As an IT leader at any level, 
it is your task to align the incentives of the of the individuals with the goals of the organization. You need to think about what are you rewarding with your incentive structure. And if you're not finding a way to reward quality, if you're trying to ensure quality with processes, then you are going to run into problems every once in a while. Because if you have a strong incentive and you have a process to counteract it, the incentives will win out every time and corners will be cut. Thank you for listening to Beneficial Intelligence, a weekly podcast with stories and pragmatic information for CIOs and other IT leaders. If you like the content, please spread the word. If you have comments, please get in touch. My contact information is in the show notes. See you next week.